For more resources, visit rym.org. The Local Youth Worker is a daily podcast that's centered on five questions each week. Ranging from the practical to the professional, we're looking for answers to the questions you're asking. Whether you're in full-time, part-time, or even volunteer youth ministry, this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, this is Michael Hall, Director of Training at RYM. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to invite you to join us at our annual Youth Leader Training Conference. YLT is an incredible week of equipping, connection, and encouragement for you and your ministry. We're excited to offer two locations in 2019, Nashville, Tennessee, and Paradise, Pennsylvania. Feature speakers include Sandy Wilson, Walt Mueller, Julie Lowe, Duffy Robbins, and Scotty Smith. Registration for both locations is now open. Please visit rym.org training for more information and registration. Hey everyone, we are back uh, talking with Nicholas Black at Harvest USA. Um, Nicholas, in your years with Harvest USA, I think you said 2007, is that correct? When you came on yeah, staff? came on board. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's been around as a ministry for 35 years, as we said. Uh, but, but what have been some of the discouraging trends that you've witnessed, you know, in reference to, the, the church's teaching or lack of teaching, discussion, conversations, thinking, you know, about sexual issues. What are some of those d- discouraging trends that you've witnessed really with your time on staff, but even prior to your time on staff? Yeah, you know, it's it, one of the things that most interesting to me as I came to Harvest uh, 11 years ago was Harvest started in the late 70s, early 80s, and shortly after its beginning, as a ministry that was reaching out to a forgotten people group, gays and lesbians. Church was shunning them, demonizing them, excluding them. Um, The AIDS crisis began. And uh, there was a national hysteria, as you can imagine, um, about AIDS. And my own experience uh, was seeing and hearing about and meeting people whose were, were told by churches to leave because one of the uh, married partners had AIDS or the children had AIDS. Um, Harvest USA started a branch ministry at that point called Hope, and it was entirely a ministry that was reaching out to gays and, and lesbians, mostly overwhelmingly gay men uh, who had AIDS, and they would visit them in the hospitals, they would um, uh, pray with them. They would visit them in their homes. Um, it's a great ministry that eventually ended because the AIDS crisis ended uh, through some you know, excellent medical intervention. Uh, but nevertheless, um, that formed the, the background of, of Harvest. Uh, and so one of the trends back then, which I think is changing, but it's still there, John, is that People who struggle with sexual issues, that's the worst type of behavior. It's the worst type of sin, especially if you're gay or lesbian. Hmm. And so we are still seeing churches that are harsh with um, sexual sin for those who are same-sex attracted and less so for those who have your standard run-of-the-mill sort of heterosexual behavioral issues. 
that's a discontinuity and a disconnect that is wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong to do that. So we're still seeing that, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we get a lot of men who come here to our sexual support groups for pornography and same-sex attraction. And we have separate groups. They, They merge at some point, then they pull away because those with same-sex attraction within the church are dealing with other issues. And one big issue that many men deal with is that they don't or cannot go to church leadership and pastors because there are still too many pastors and leaders who are derisive of gays and lesbians, Mm. make comments about um, people who are gay and lesbian, who make jokes about it. You can't go to somebody and say, I'm struggling with um, same-sex attraction, Mm -hmm. uh, and the person you're going to has dismissed and derided uh, the very thing that you're struggling with. There's no safety there. So we're still seeing that trend. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, we still see uh, the trend of silence. I think silence is still um, one of the major trends in the church. This is an issue that's too awkward, too painful, too messy to deal with. So we're still seeing that. But I'd say, um, just as a quick aside here, John, I think it's getting better. I think I'm seeing, and we are here at Harvest, seeing more and more churches saying, we haven't talked about this. We haven't talked about it well. Uh, we need help. And, and so we're getting more and more churches or, or, that are repenting of the way that they have treated these issues. And they've treated people in their congregation with these issues. But you won't hear that story from the media. Hmm. What you're only going to get from the media are these wacko, distorted, um, sadly true stories that are out there that are on the fringes of of all sorts of behavior, um, where you might have certain people within um, smaller churches who are um, um, saying horrible things about those struggling with same-sex attraction. That's in the minority, but you won't know that from the media. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to get pressed today. So there's, there's still the sense that sexual strugglers are, are the worst sinners, that silence still is predominant. I would also say that um, too many, one trend that we still see is that sexual discipleship in a good way is still more on a morality base hmm. than, than what we, what we call a union with Christ base. It's rule based. Um, that was very much the case with the abstinent programs uh, more than a decade or so, which were in the, which were in the ascendancy back then, you know, the abstinent message. And I don't want to, I don't want to disturb people who, you know, I'm, I'm all in favor of abstinence until marriage. <laughs> um, that's the way to go. Um, but the message that was coming from that is if you just wait, God's going to give you your, your princess or your prince and, and your sexual behavior then, as a, as a married couple, will be just wonderful. Um, that was a false narrative. Um, what we want to be teaching is the reason for, for being abstinent, the reason for being celibate, uh, the reason for managing your sexuality in a way uh, that God calls you to is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's about you responding to the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead that now lives in you. 
and he wants you uh, to be the best that you can in Christ. That is meaning that you're going to say no to some things in your life so that you can say yes to other things in your life. Um, it's that type of, of, of equation. Whatever you say no to is going to be replaced by God's greater yes. Hmm. We want that message to come out. So it's not rule-based. It's not morality-based per se. It is how do you honor Christ with everything in your life and with, and with what is actually the most powerful part of our human personality, isn't it? Hmm. It's our sexuality. God made it powerful. But he also made it powerful so that we might know something of his uh, longing for us, and secondly, his pursuit of us, and thirdly, so that we might not deal with this matter alone, but that we would be doing it within the community of, of Christ. Hmm. So those are the three things we're still seeing as, as unfortunate trends within the church. Hmm. And, and that's why this is such an important conversation to have, because what you just said you know, the, the depth and richness of biblical sexuality. I mean, there is so much there um, that, that is, re, re, you know, having this kind of negative discussion of, about the church of just kind of a more a moralistic teaching on mm-hmm. sexuality and how the church has missed that richness. Um, that's why it's important because people, we need to be thinking about these things and we need to be mining the depths of this, this biblical truth and what all it communicates. And ultimately, as you say, the glory of God uh, that we've missed out on. And I mean, I remember as you were, you were talking about abstinence, which, you know, for the record, we're both for, <laughs> but, but just kind of, uh, kind of some of the moralistic teaching, uh, Laura, I think it's Lauren Winner's book, Real Sex. Oh, great book. Yeah. Yeah, written years ago, and she yeah. one of, one of the chapters or either sections is lies the church teaches, and yes. one of those lies is that sex before marriage is not pleasurable. Um, yeah, that fornication, okay. you know, and and her just saying that's not true. Uh, that there were plenty of times, and I think you know a little bit of background of the book. She was not a believer, but then became a believer uh, later in life, and so her just reflecting on some of those lies that the church has communicated, and it's helpful. You know, obviously, the two of us are part of local churches. Uh, the local church is vital. Um, we are in favor of the local church, uh, but we do, as a church, need to to look at some of the blind spots that we have and critique and, and move forward by God's grace uh, to uh, communicate His gospel in a more helpful uh, way. Um, just to follow up to one of the things you said about silence, um, I would agree with you that it does seem like, like we are moving away from that, that I, it seems like some of the conversations I'm having with parents, they are starting these conversations sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things, uh, thoughts I have about that, but but why do you think we're starting to see some of those trends of maybe more openness to discuss this in the church and the home? I, I wish there was a more positive reason for that <laughs> response, there, John, but it's okay that it's not. We're being pushed. Mm-hmm. We are being pushed, mm-hmm. and uh, very oftentimes the church in its history has begun to move into particular territories um, because the culture has moved us there. And, um, you know, you have the story or the narrative of, um, of race in American history mm-hmm. and slavery, and uh, though many Christians were in the forefront of that, um, there was a lot of secular push that, that woke up the church. Hmm. God uses all sorts of things to wake up his people. 
Absolutely. And he's, he's doing that now. So uh, parents are now beginning to realize more and more uh, that, for instance, those cell phones and smartphones that they're giving to their younger children are, are actually dangerous. And um, so they've got to, they, they're, they're being pushed to say, wait, I, I, it's not enough for me to just put some filters and accountability software on these devices because kids are so savvy, they know how to get around that stuff. They're going to have to start talking about these issues. And I say, great, great. Let the culture push us. Uh, we ought to be in the forefront of these things. We ought to be out there as the chief people talking about how to live in ways that honor and glorify God. And that means we have to step down into the messes of people's lives um, and, and not be afraid to, to roll up our sleeves and get involved and talk and lead and disciple and, and help people grow. Yeah. Hmm. That's very good. And qu- quickly, I know we're needing to wrap this up. Um, kind of the, the scenario of the teenagers in the auditorium. If you had an auditorium filled with pastors, <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give them to, to move this forward in their congregation? And it could just be reiterating your points of uh, some of the, the negative trends. But, but, but what's some just quick advice, counsel, encouragement you would give pastors to move forward in discussing this more? You know, one of the easiest things to do that we encourage pastors to do is, you know, a good pastoral sermon is going to have lots of anecdotes and illustrations and narratives and stories, but they're all about, um, you know, problems with money, problems with uh, relationships, etc. But we hardly ever hear anything about pastors saying problems with sex, or pornography, or same-sex attraction. And what we encourage pastors to do is to start sprinkling their sermons with those real-life narratives that are out there, um, and then connect the gospel to them, recognizing that people in their congregation are already struggling with these things, and they're not saying anything about it. Yes. So we, we use this expression to, to pastors, you've got to give permission to your, your people to talk about these things. And the only permission, the permission they need is for you to start talking about it. If you don't talk about it, they remain silent, hidden, they remain desperate and alone. Mm-hmm. So just start raising it. Mm-hmm. Even in a simple way like that, you'll begin to get people knocking on your door. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Absolutely. Nicholas, once again, thank you for that. I know uh, tomorrow as we close out our conversation with you uh, this week, it's, it's kind of shifting the conversation to parents and giving advice of how to begin some of these conversations. So hopefully more will uh, tune in tomorrow. Thank you again, Nicholas. Thank you. Good to talk with you, John.